0: This is Barrels and Barrels, a bourbon and baseball podcast, with your hosts, Brandon Spinner and Michael Burns. And welcome into another episode of Barrels and Barrels, a bourbon and baseball podcast. I am Brandon Spinner, as always, alongside my buddy, my pal, Michael Burns. Michael, on location again tonight. Mikey, where can we find you?
1: I am in Boston, Massachusetts. If that's a Boston accent, there. I don't, but I, I don't learned. Think from, it's a Boston I learned accent. from my last travel, though. I learned from my last travel. I brought. A, I brought a glass.
0: Yes, last time you had a paper cup, and this is even more imperative. I know the last one was very cool because Ben sent us a sample, but this time. We're actually drinking a pick with someone who picked it, and we'll introduce our special guest here in just a minute. Before we dive into that, this is episode uh, 16, uh, which is going to be our second interview of Barrels and Barrels, a bourbon and baseball podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. You can click the link right below if you're watching on YouTube that says subscribe. Also, don't forget to find us on Instagram, Barrels and Barrels Pod. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google, iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find us there. Please rate us and review us there. Hit the subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, whatever it is, to make sure you're getting our latest podcasts sent straight to you. Last thing, we now have some t-shirts available. If you want a t-shirt, reach out to us on Instagram or uh, via email. That is barrelsandbarrels at gmail.com. And we'll get one shipped out to you. So, without further ado, we want to introduce our special guest. We've been talking to him for a long time. We've been drinking his drinks for a long time. We've got Brandon Lawson from Major League Bourbon Clubhouse. My man, B Law, how you doing, dude? Good to have you, sir. Good. We are so excited to have you. Michael and I have been talking about this since we even like started the podcast. We're like the first one of the first people we got to interview is got to be MLB Clubhouse.
2: No, I'm excited to be here too. I've been always, I've been watching you guys since you started, and I've, I've said the same thing myself. I was like, man, I, get, we gotta get, we gotta get on there and do, do one of these together. So finally, it's happening.
0: Yeah, we're, we're soaked to have you, and it's cool that Michael's like close to one of the biggest baseball havens of Fenway Park. He's in Boston, so it worked out perfectly. He's the 12th round, 2016 draft pick by the Rays. Can you tell us just that draft experience right away? What was yeah, it like to be drafted? So Where cool. were you? Do you remember the call?
2: Uh, it was pretty surreal. Um, you know, I played a, I played college at USF in Tampa. And, um, you know, first two years were a little shaky. Freshman year was pretty good, but sophomore year, man, I uh, I didn't know if I was going to be able to play baseball again after yeah. that. Oh, wow. You know, cont- contemplated a lot of things, you know, just struggled really, really bad that year, um, on the field, off the field, everything. And um, you know, I played in the Northwoods in the summer that uh that following summer after uh the collegiate season ended and uh ended up, you know, kind of changing, you know, my mechanics, you know, the way I eat, everything like that. Just pretty much everything about myself and went into junior year with a with a different uh you know Brandon Lawson that I've that I've seen before, and uh, um, you know ended up ended up working really well. I had a really good year that year, and ended up getting selected by the Rays uh, in the twelfth round. Uh, I was at I was at home there, and just north of Tampa where I lived at the time or I grew up at the time. And um, yeah, I mean, did you have you know, people I was talk kind of to you up ahead go before? A bit sooner, but you know, I think
1: did you know it was coming, or did was it? Yeah, a little bit. Uh,
2: I didn't, I didn't know the Rays were coming, um, you know, kind of growing up in Tampa, uh, you know, I, I, I grew up in St. Louis area. So I was always a Cardinals fan growing Mm -hmm. up and then I moved to Florida when I was seven. So ended up, you know, just always, always been a big baseball fan. Um, and I never, never had any contact with the Rays one bit. Um, it was actually quite funny because we had we had been slotted for like the eighth or ninth round with a couple teams with Seattle Marlins things like that, mm-hmm. and then I get a call in the eleventh round from the Braves uh, saying like, hey, we're going to pick you, uh, this this and this, you know, all set to go. And then when that slot comes up, uh, they called real quick and they're like, hey, there's a high school kid coming before you. Um, he's still here, so we're going to take him and let you go to the twelfth. Still same everything, you know, you you good to go? I say yeah. And then, so I'm kind of waiting, you know, I'm just watching it there on the TV on the third day. And, uh, you know, you're just listening to numbers be called, names be called. And um, all of a sudden, the rays popped up and, you know, number ID, you know, and then my name. And I'm like, I'm just sitting on the couch, like, you know, kind of just waiting for the Braves to be coming. And then all of a sudden, like, my name pops out. and uh, So my agent, my dad, my best friend and uh stepmom and brothers and sisters were all there so it was a really exciting time for sure well that's That's awesome awesome.
0: so like the rays didn't reach out to you at all like no hey we picked you
2: nope nope it was uh they didn't even reach out to my agent anything they just you know went ahead and
0: hey take that brandon lawson guy
2: (laughs) (laughs) pretty much pretty much so
0: wow well that's really cool um That I, I always grew up wanting to play in the majors and getting drafted. So like, I love to hear those stories. I'm like, when and where, uh, and that's really neat. We always start with a trivia question. Um, usually we do it to, uh, from bourbon to baseball. We're just going to jump right into it today. I want both of your inputs. You tell me your first guess right away. Who is the only player to play in a world series game at both Wrigley field and Comiskey park?
1: A World Series game. So this had to have been 2006. Michael's not going to get this
0: because this was before 2000. (laughs) So
1: 1940 something?
2: That's a good
0: one. I can't give you the year. It's just not the 2000s. Well,
1: before that, the Cubs weren't in the World (laughs) Series until 1948. like Something like that?
0: 45, I believe, is when they played the Tigers. That that's
2: a that's a that's a hard one.
1: Let's just go. Let's just go. Uh, Nelson Cruz. He's pretty old, you know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> was
0: was he on the, uh, uh, the 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 Guardians or I guess the Indians back then in 2016? No. Um, it is Babe Ruth. Believe it or not. Oh, you know I was
2: actually I was actually thinking that. Like I just figured like it had to be something with a Babe, but. So
0: know. it's a trick question because the White Sox were not in any of that. In 1918, when the Red Sox and the Cubs played in the World Series, that game was, or that World Series, the home games were held at Comiskey Park because it was a bigger park than Wrigley Field at the time. So that was the home field for the Cubs in the World Series. Maybe that's why they lost in 1918. I don't know. But, uh, so, B-Law, you're here. Uh, You told us a little bit about your draft journey what about college like what made you choose usf um is it because it was close to home they were the first ones who came calling or that's just where you felt most
2: comfortable um you know it was a little bit of all of it uh you know growing up in the tampa area um there was a lot of baseball opportunities in that area and coming from missouri my dream school was always university of missouri um they had just joined 2013, I believe they just had joined the SEC. Um, so that was always my mission to kind of, to kind of get there. Uh, freshman year came of high school and ended up getting some letters from some colleges and USF came, came a call in and ended up, uh, verbally recruit, or verbally committing there. Um, and more so is was the fact because it was close to home. All my friends and family were there. Um, you know it was less expensive yeah and there was a good opportunity for me to start right away and i think that's what was most important i ended up getting my offer from the university of missouri and that was kind of the hardest oh. thing to like kind of kind of turn down i had i had some uh um you know non scholarship like walk on opportunities at like fsu and in florida but there i mean i had i had a decent amount of offers from all over but um it just really spoke to me that coming to me that early telling me that you know i can kind of start right away as my high school uh, years went on um but being able to start right away as soon as i go into college where sec i mean you got to be an absolute stud uh of a guy to um start right away as a freshman in sec and so um i just saw that was probably my best chance to grow as a player but also as a as a person so uh, that's why ultimately i chose that um why i chose usf so awesome
0: well real quick we want to congratulate you brand new daddy welcome to the club yep. girl dad
1: club too right <laughs> Girl dad, there we go mm-hmm.
2: two and a half weeks so far a little a little greasy hope so yeah we're uh, we're super pumped about that it's been it's been a life-changing experience for sure um it's everything i've hoped for and more honestly um it just yeah, keeps getting been, better she's She's been really good for the for the two weeks so far, um, so we're we're fingers crossed that it continues to to keep going. But sleep sleep schedule has been really good, feeding's been really good, so uh, you know, um, healthy. So that's all I can ask for. Right?
0: Exactly. That's all you can ask for. Okay. Are you ready
1: to drink?
2: <laughs> oh yeah. Hey, you got. Your- you got to get you one of those Agent Orr travel cases.
0: Oh, the travel case. That way, if
2: you're you're always on the road, you can get the glass with the the travel case. That way it makes it easy. I've almost
1: done that. So I have this guy. It's a 3D-printed barrel, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and it fits the Glencairn in there. I got
2: one of those yeah yeah i got one of those too i remember when he uh first started and everything i reached out to him and he made one when i was with the astros for me but those are really really cool
1: not as protective probably as the padded agent or but it'll do the job
2: hey it does it does the job
0: we're just trying to make it big and get sponsored by Asian or, and then maybe we'll get uh, the travel <laughs> oh, case. You,
2: you, you
0: and us both, man. <laughs> well, um, a lot of people, they can find you on Instagram. You've got two of them at major league bourbon, right. And then at major league bourbon clubhouse, can you tell us how that came about?
2: Um, I like brown water. You know, I just, I just, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, as far as major league bourbon come in, um, I really wasn't a bourbon guy going into all this. Um, I was more so just beer and then all of a sudden kind of, what was it? 2019, my brother-in-law, uh, soon to be brother-in-law. Um, he was big into bourbon and kind of got me into some samples and whatnot. And, um, ended up getting me into the, to the dark black hole that we all get in. <laughs> and, uh, I've never found, I've never found my way out and I don't think I'm, I'm gonna, but, uh, so, yeah, I fell in love with bourbon. I mean, COVID was right around the corner too, and ended up having a lot of free time um, going to a lot of stores uh, in the Nashville area, um, going down to Georgia and Florida, traveling and, you know, making a lot of relationships with these stores. And um, ended up falling in love with the process, uh, you know, getting to meet, you know, cool people throughout it. Um, so, I ended up making, making the page around, you know, baseball. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, something that obviously is a part of my life. And then, you know, who knew that bourbon would be such a big part of my life, too? Um, and so, you know, started with that page, grew it, uh, you know, fairly well uh, through a certain amount of time. And then, you know, I think all of us join you know, 15, 20, you know, groups mm-hmm. uh, when we first started of trying to look for that perfect pick or, you know, something like that, you know, some, some Weller's pick or, you know, some, (laughs) some Buffalo trace pick type of deal. But, um, you know, so many, so many groups have rules and they have stipulations and, you know, you got to buy this, this, and this to get that, or you got to do this, Mm -hmm. that, and that. And it's just like, you got to watch what you say and things like that. And um, I don't know, I just ended up wanting to kind of make my own thing. Um, I was just tired of seeing so many groups put so many stipulations on things. I just wanted it free range. And, you know, it comes... You have to kind of pick its battles with it, Mm -hmm. I've seen. um, But, uh, you know, started the page on Facebook and then also, you know, started on Instagram and, you know, kind of playing with it. So um, I think we're up to like 650 members now.
0: Yeah, I saw that the the, other day, yeah.
2: On the Facebook page. So, um, you know, I think we've done seven picks, uh, so far, and they've all sold out relatively quick. And, uh, I think more so it's just being able to have fun with it and, uh, you know, get great picks out to, uh, to all the members in the group and, uh, share the experience. And like, you know, the most important thing for me is I'm never, I'm never above anyone. So like, I may, I may run the group, but like, we're all a part of the process here. Like it, it runs with all of us mm. and um so it's just making it fun and interactive and like you guys are a part of it as well rather than just you know two or three people running it and just kind of you know some people are in it for the money and everything like that yeah. uh, of what you can make but it's just all about the experience for me and um you know trying to grow the group as far as you know getting these top tier barrel picks and yeah. things like that and have, having these members be a part of of the picks and things that, um, you know, some of these groups are kind of limited to. So, but yeah.
1: So I remember like always seeing different groups and like, there's one in Nashville that put out a Weller uh, full proof had AJ Brown on the back. I was like, Oh man, that'd be, that'd be cool. You know, mm-hmm. and I remember Brandon all of a sudden being like, Hey, there's a group I'm in. He's putting out his first pick and showed me like the, the field of dreams sticker. I was like, mm-hmm. that is so freaking cool. You know, baseball, it's baseball bourbon. And so Brandon's like, all uh, right, yeah. Uh, Brandon sent me. He he sent me the link. You know, um, because the, I was going to be at work for the first pick. So I talked to him. He said he let you slip mm-hmm. in too. I was like, "Let's go." <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was like, "Should I get him?" Should I? Yeah. But uh, so you said you've got seven. I've got five of them. Um, this is the latest one. Your Penelope toasted. This is really cool. We talked about this, I think, on our second or third podcast because that was at the end of the season because it's a toast to last year's season, right? Can you tell us yep. the story about that? You told me you had like a funny story about this.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I wouldn't say it's like funny, but it is different when you go into a barrel pick. I mean, um, obviously I think we you know, started this when um, we put it into the barrel opening day. We took it out uh, on the end of the regular season for all teams. And, uh, you know, I was hoping to have it out you know, by the World Series or something. That's kind of what the promise was. But, you know, things happen, distributors and things like that. So it's never really a strong promise. But anyways, it's here now. It's great. But I think the funny part about it all was, you know, a normal barrel pick, you go and you do the experience or something like that, and you get options, a sample, and you know what you're kind of getting into. But this one is literally all on a whim. Um, Mm. You know, it was this kind of idea between, like, Michael and Danny and I have just like, Hey, like, you know, my groups uh, revolved around baseball. Like let's do something like a, like a toasted. I really wanted to do a American light whiskey uh, that they've been doing. And those were all sold out really, Mm -hmm. really quick. Uh, So it's not kind of the next best option. And you know, they've got all great options there. And uh, so it's like, Hey, like let's dump something on opening day and let's let it toast through um all the way to the end of the season and that's kind of when i sampled it um and i was kind of like eh, okay like it it can be it can it can be you know pretty good here and then you know i, I think it kind of sat for a little bit in the holding barrel or the holding tank mm-hmm. and uh i think something like drastically changed from that barrel to there and uh you know i didn't know what to expect going in like getting these bottles and stuff to myself and tasting it and seeing everyone's reaction. Um because you know, normally I'm able to provide notes or mm-hmm. know exactly like, okay, this one's really gonna be good. You know um, exactly what's so in the bottles. Right. Kind of all Yeah, yeah. So it was all, all kind of on a whim and so it's just, you know, a different barrel picking experience than a lot of people, you know, tend to get but um I thought the story around it was pretty cool. A lot of a lot of the other guys thought so too, and um, I'm glad to hear a lot of good feedback from it. So um, all in all, I think it's a win.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to crack mine open for the first time. It's still got the plastic on the top. Uh, so this is Penelope, um, five-year, right?
2: Four-year. Four-year. Uh, Four-year at 57.5, so 115 proof. And it was toasted for... Two days less than six months, so the average toast uh, is about three to four months. Mm. Um, so this one is you know, definitely more extended toast, than yeah. the normal. Um, but yeah, char-free uh, medium toast, and it was in a McGinnis barrel that was uh, dry air-dried for twenty-four months. So mm. definitely. Cool. Um, he said it's one of their, you know, more favorite barrels that they've been going through. Um, but yeah, it turned out pretty good.
0: Yeah. I can't wait to crack it open. Michael brought a sample since he's on, uh, on assignment. I didn't want to, I I didn't
1: want to risk the taking the bottle through uh <laughs> PSA and such. So, uh, I
0: didn't want to lose it. I also have my major league bourbon clubhouse Asian or glass, no free ads. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah so first thought right off the nose michael have you been able to
1: i've been nosing this thing as you guys are going to talk the toast you do smell that you
0: can de- definitely get the toast right off the bat
1: mm-hmm. yeah i don't i don't i think it's it's a it, you can tell it has adds that sweet element to it um i mean i mean if you didn't know what this was i think you if you know your palate that you know this is toasted
0: i also like to point out that even as a Cardinals fan, you had to sneak Wrigley Field in on your sticker, huh?
2: Yes, I know. Uh, doing looking, looking at the, looking at all like kind of the options and what of uh, kind of backgrounds. I thought this one played out the best of seeing what there was, um, and I know you two love that. Uh, so, uh,
0: so what are your notes like when you popped this open for the first time? What did you get on the nose?
2: I definitely got like that toasty like sweet like marshmallow Mm um type of vibe to it um you know once you get into like the palette and the finish of it it's it's relatively smooth for you know 115 Mm -hmm. throughout um it's not very like lingering as most of i feel like my picks are um but all in all i mean i feel like it's a pretty pretty good pick for pretty much like a blind pick right
0: and yeah, that's different too, like a blind pick rather than going to pick it at the mm-hmm. distillery itself. So you just basically did this over the phone. Like there were not yep. even a sample set.
2: Yeah. It was wow. all talk over, all talk over the phone. No samples, you know, pre post or during or anything or just post, no during or anything like that. So do you um, know what
0: the mash bill is? I see it's from Lawrenceburg. So MGP. I don't know
2: the mash bill. Um, offhand but that's something I could definitely find out but yeah uh, they've they've done all uh, all in GP um, so nothing but high quality stuff always coming from them it's always funny with you know like the sticker choices like you know when we talk about it at first and everything gets finalized it's like hey man like this is it's five years you know it's 116 proof then you know kind of comes out and it's like hey the age says four years now and it's 115 proof and it's like the same thing happened with my the same thing happened with my Rye three. Um that where 009? it was supposed to be like Yeah, it was supposed to be like one nineteen point eight and it ended up being like one twenty point four or something like that. And it was like yeah, the Virginia heat got to it at the end and changed it up a little bit. So <laughs> uh, you know, it is what it is, but it's always so hard to try to get these stickers finalized and sent out in a timely manner. So
0: I understand that. Um Michael what is did you take a sip yet yeah
1: i've I've, I've coated my my mouth um, definitely you've get got, that sweetness that coat. toast up front yeah, I got my coat well oh, come on, man um, I got that sweetness and then it comes in the oak and it uh, um so after the toast you get that oak taste that uh that traditional bourbon paste after the sweetness mm-hmm. uh, finishes up
0: I'm gonna guess that this is the high rye um from MGP, just by the way it finishes and tastes, um, if I had to guess out of their bourbon mash bills, but so I that would be, that. I think that's what, 60 4 We just did one the other day. Was it Remus that had that? Um, but yeah, it's very good. I got cherry right off the bat along with that toaster. There,
2: there is a hint of cherry in there. I, I can see that. Mm-hmm. It's always like, cause I'm like almost halfway through with the first bottle. I've given up, I've given out some samples and things like that. Yeah, so, um, yeah. Um, but you know, I usually each pick, I usually keep three for myself. Uh, I never, I always hold on to one that I never drink and that's going to kind of be kind of like the your wall of fame kind wall of, wall of fame awesome. kinda idea. Uh, of getting like a canvas sticker or a canvas print of like all the stickers and then putting the bottle up next to it type that's of awesome. deal. So that's, that's the hope one day if that turns out, but I've already had to reach out to, to buyers of the field of dreams pick to try to get another one of those. Cause I went out of those real quick. Those that, that could have been the, top pick for for me so far is that first one but there's there's uh plenty more in the pipeline that could change that yeah we'll get to those in a minute
0: you mentioned your field of dreams pick i have them all right here
1: yeah i remember that picking it being the that first one, one that was very special uh, and uh i was just like oh bro but then it came in and it's phenomenal
2: it's yeah it's idea. it 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 changed a lot of like non rye believers mm-hmm. minds i think i mean because it's sweet and vanilla and very like different than what you you know tend to uh, go to but that that uh you blew it Mm -hmm. that one's really really good too
0: and michael and i have a majority of them uh i don't i can't say i had all of them i think i didn't get the all-star one uh the starlight just was at the regular bourbon Mm -hmm. Um, do you have a favorite like i know they're all your babies they're all your but like what was your favorite one to pick out of all of them
2: um,
1: not to taste you to pick Brandon or to, t- to bet you thought
0: to pick yeah to pick like
2: to pick, honestly um, it's the one coming up it's the makers mm. like the entire experience from like start to finish was just unbelievable I mean I've been able to go to Buffalo Trace and you know do you know weather foolproof uh, Blantons and a and a Buffalo Trace pick and you know, usually that's like cream of the crop as far as experiences go. But I mean, Makers I think just blew it out of the water um, with everything from start to finish.
0: I've I've seen and heard of the Makers process, and I've heard it's really cool. So yeah, maybe one day when we make it big like Brandon Michael, we'll have to go to Makers and do our own pick of some <laughs> sort. So
2: absolutely, you should.
0: Uh, I I think the finish is. Very good. You mentioned it's not like your normal finishes, and it's not. I think you're, you're right that it does tail off a little quicker, but it's got a nice burn towards the back end. Uh, I got that cherry in a marshmallow, like a s'mores feel to it, and that's what I got on the nose. I think normally I've been pulling cherry off the nose quite a bit. I don't on this one. I get caramel and the oak um, with that toast and the s'mores, but I really pull the cherry out on the palate. Um, so we have our own rating scale. Uh, if you haven't listened, it's the Barrels and Barrels of Bourbon and Baseball podcast rating sale. We go from the top of the top at Hall of Fame, then we go to All-Star, third is Everyday Player, uh, fourth is Bench, and as you know, a bench player is not necessarily a bad player, it's just someone who just comes in uh, and mixes things up, and then there's the DFA. Of course, you never want the DFA. So Michael, now that you've sampled, sniffed, and tried the Penelope, a toast of the MLB 2022 season. I'm putting you under the gun first in front of the guy who whose name's on it. Where do you rank this?
1: <laughs> so I think the like you said the the finish is 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 uh, not as strong as as typical, but the sweetness part of it, of the toast up front, I think pushes this guy up a level, and so I think this guy here's an everyday player.
0: Yeah, I wish this wasn't just a a single barrel pick because I would buy multiple of these, but, uh, yes, uh, I'm going with an everyday player as well. Um, I think it's very well-rounded even though you said it didn't turn out the way you expected it to. I think this is another knockout of the park home run with your picks. Um, I don't think it's my favorite of your picks, but I think I'm going to say it's up there in the top three that I have out of the five. So mm-hmm. I'm going everyday player. Brandon, where would yeah. you rank
2: it? I would go with the everyday player. It's very like, in the sense is very crushable yes. um, because of that lingering finish and you know, heat isn't there at the end. I think it can, can kind of sneak up and surprise you. Uh, so yeah, I definitely think it's very crushable. And like I said, I mean, it's not, it's not the normal of what I do uh, or what we usually pick, but um, in the end it turned out pretty good. And uh, you know, again, got a lot of good feedback. So that's very surprising uh, to see kind of this experiment uh come out the way it did so um but yeah i appreciate it
0: yeah very good i you you just defined it crushable i've mentioned that on a couple other pours in the last couple of weeks but this is one that i could continuously see going to and been being like damn it where'd the rest of it go (laughs) um so both michael myself and even brandon giving it an everyday player so if you you is it are there any available or did you sell sell out
2: they uh they sold out and in uh, three days, that's awesome. Uh, um, it was a it was a lower yield. I think it was 120 um, mm-hmm. bottle yield, so a little bit less than the typical. Um, you know, you see like 160 mm-hmm. to 180 type of deal. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was success. Uh, success, and uh, you know, looking forward to uh, you know keeping them coming. And you know, twenty twenty three's. It seems like we've got some good things coming for for the group and everyone. So I'm um, excited to see uh, what, what's to come.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So bourbon, we talked a little bit about that. Let's shift gears now. You're a Cardinals fan. Who, who was your favorite player growing up? Uh,
2: you know, it was just It was this always Albert Pujols. I could not. He crushed just us every the way, time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Especially his last game against you guys, uh, but yep, I, I was there for it. Um, but no, I think it was just the way like he played the game and he went about it, uh, what he did on the field, but more more importantly, like what he did off the field, um, how he gave back to the community, and you know just the way that he, uh, you know, kind of himself um, throughout his time I mean it was just always he just it was never too high he was never too low he just kind of stayed always even and you know it was always a team player and, and um, it was actually pretty awesome that when I got to play in the Dominican last winter um, that I actually got to face him um, you know three times so I was, I was pretty nerve-wracking to you know go kind of face your uh, all-time baseball idol um, but yeah um you know, there's a lot of great, like great players, and and uh, you know all of baseball history. I mean, there's also, you know, Adam Wainwright and mm-hmm. Matt Carpenter, or not Matt Carpenter, but Chris Carpenter, and mm-hmm. um, you know a lot of Cardinal greats. So, so
0: you faced him in the DR. Did you strike his ass out?
2: I came close, but I can I can say he went 0 for three off me with three groundouts, but I did not get the get to strike him out. I had my chance and I blew it. So.
1: But his batting uh, average is
2: zero. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's all I can ask for. So, <laughs> well,
0: that's awesome. Um, so you mentioned Chris Carpenter, Adam Wainwright. What do you think of the Cardinals team this year? Like, what do you expect from them?
2: Second place. Uh, you know, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think. I I mean, I think I think they'll kind of be middle of the road this year. Um, you know, you've got Wainwright who's in his you know later years, probably last, his last year, and um. I just I don't feel like they have that you know star player anymore. I mean, you have got you know Arenado and Goldschmidt, um, but I still feel like they're a fairly young team. And pitching side is gonna gonna make it or break it for them this year. Um, I think offense will kind of always be there, but um, I think that pitching, if Jack Flaherty and kind of Dakota can Hudson healthy. can kind of hold their own this year, yeah, um, then. You know, they'll do pretty well. I think they'll either be wild card or right there on top uh at the, you know, central standings, but, you know, we'll see.
1: Yeah, I think it'll be interesting because this year the teams don't play injured division teams as often as they did in the past, so they don't beat up on each other as much. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, you know, with mm-hmm. the NL East having two 100-win teams last year, the Mets and the Braves both mm-hmm. won 100.
0: And the see... team that didn't win 100 games made – The World Series.
1: Could you see three teams win 100 games in the NL East this year since they don't beat beat each other up as much?
2: It could be possible. You never know.
0: So Cardinals fan, you played for several minor league teams. Um, What is it like? So I I was looking at your statistics and like your game lines. What's it like getting the call to the next level? Like, hey, Brandon, you're getting called up to double A what like what's the process like what's what goes through your mind when they're saying hey you're going to Durham to go play with the Bulls
2: um you know I think it's just everything that you always like kind of dream of like you're getting that to the next level to get to the ultimate goal Mm -hmm. of reaching the big leagues so you feel you know kind of empowered accomplished a little bit but there's still a lot of work to do and uh um you know I was able in the second season to uh, go from high A uh, of having a, a mediocre year in my mind, um, you know, going up down from relieving to uh spot starting to starting all that type of stuff. And then getting, go play with the bulls and, um, go play in the playoffs for the A uh, national championship and everything with them. And then end up taking a ring home. Oh, that's um, sweet. You know, so got to, got to play with some really, really awesome guys. And, um, you know, for the next, was it two, three years? I mean, it's kind of been high A and then, you know, double A, triple A, double A, triple A A type of deal. So it's kind of Mm -hmm. up down. And, um, you know, that's kind of really where the men are made. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of politics in baseball, um, you know, of how much you signed for, um, you know, this, this, and this, do you throw a hundred, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, yeah, I think it just really depends on the person of, you know, what you're willing to do to get to the next level. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of memories to be made through it all. And, uh, um, you know, I had had a great time doing it. So
0: so that, was that 2017 you guys won? Uh,
2: so 2017 is when I was with the Bulls. and Or at the end of the year, I went with the Bulls. Ended up winning the AAA National Championship. And then in 19, when I was with the Giants, I um, ended up getting a call to go at the end of the year to that AAA National Championship. And uh, we ended up winning the, that as well. So I got both, both AAA divisions. I'll see if I can get the ring real quick. Um,
0: <laughs> That's but, sweet.
2: But uh, here's the River Cats. Um, That's so cool. And then Bulls went all out, but.
0: Uh, bulls went all out.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's so, sweet.
2: That's awesome. But really cool experiences and everything. And, uh, you know, always have those memories.
0: For sure. Who's on the uh, 17 team? Was Wander still on the, was he with the team or no? No, that no, was no. Been too he, early.
2: Was, he, he was probably like 16 at the yeah. time. <laughs> but uh, no, like Brandon Lau. Um, okay. Brian Lau, uh, Brent Honeywell, um, Diego Castillo. Um, I mean, endless mouse Named Jake Fraley was there with mm-hmm. me. Um, Jake McC uh, not Jake McCarthy. Uh, Joe McCarthy. I mean, there's probably like nine big leaguers at least on that team that at least have gotten up there. So, but
0: Michael, you asked earlier, what was the question?
1: I said I asked what what was all your arsenal as a pitcher.
2: So I was a big sinker baller. Uh, That's how I made my money, uh, getting ground balls and really quick outs. Uh, You know, I kind of sat in my prime, you know, 91 to 93. I'd get up to 95, 96 occasionally um, in relief rolls, whatnot. But, you know, running the two seam in, breaking bats, getting ground balls, uh, you know, had a little slider, curve ball, and then, you know, a change up. So, um, you know, got in my later years, end up finding a four seam and kind of mix mixed levels, uh, to get people off my two seam. And, um, you know, has had a lot, had a lot of success with that. Uh, but yeah, primarily single ball guy, you know, always emulated kind of like Greg Maddox and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that
0: two seam or the dart back on the corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned you had a, a bevy of things. You went from relief to starters. Well, what was your favorite pitch to throw?
2: Honestly, I mean I I would there was times where I could go, you know, eight out of ten times, you know, just throwing sinkers and you know, I would love to watch people try to, you know, hit it and sit on it, but you know, that late movement, you know, just kind of jams them and, you know, ground ball to double play or, you know, break their bat and come firewood. Elmer Pools. (laughs) Oh yeah. But uh yeah, I was never I was never scared to throw it. Um you know, I think there was a game where I threw like 86 out of 102 pitches were, were sinking. Wow. So, um, you know, sometimes when, sometimes we're, when things were good, you know, you just run with it until, mm-hmm. you know, until they're not. So, uh,
0: crazy, my craziest minor league story. I know I've seen them on Instagram. I've seen them on Twitter. What was mm-hmm. the biggest this is minor league baseball that you had?
2: <laughs> oh man. Uh, I don't even know where to start with that. There's <laughs> There's ones I can't tell. There's ones that are sad, and then there's ones that are just, you know, you you can't make up. Um, as far as the can't make up one that I can see on air, I mean, it's it. just like these, these things are these things are so minor league that you, you just you really can't make it up. And it's just we're on the way home from I think like a eight hour bus ride, and we're like three hours in, and then all of a sudden we're like, okay, like start to smell smoke. And, uh, you know, um, then we're like, okay, now the bus is getting really hot. And then we started to see it come out of the side of the bus and, you know, our, our wheel well over uh, the front bus tire was caught on fire, like a grease fire and ended up, you know, kind of parked on the side of the road for about three hours in the middle of nowhere. And then, you know, you kind of have to have a, you know, tow truck and then you got to wait for a bu- another like bus to come and get you and then pack that up and get everything. So that, that eight hour bus ride turned into like a 16 hour bus ride.
0: Um, and by the way, uh, you got to play a game the next day and it's a one-twenty oh yeah. start, right?
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. I've done many of those where we'll get done at, you know, midnight. And then you drive from all the way from Montgomery, Alabama to, uh, Chattanooga or not Chattanooga to, uh, Gatlinburg where the Smokies are at, mm-hmm. uh, to there. And, uh, I think we got in at like nine a.m. and yeah, a one o'clock start. So here, get a few hours of sleep and then you know get going.
0: Oh and by the way, we're judging your performance today and it's gonna yeah. make or break whether or not you get called the next time.
2: Yeah, <laughs> going back down to going back down to high. Oh
0: uh you mentioned Montgomery. I know you played with the biscuits. Where was your favorite place to play?
2: Um, mm, I think it had to be Durham. Um, you know, Bull Durham, Mm -hmm. the movie, the city, my favorite baseball movie. Yeah. The city was, uh, awesome. There's so many things around it to do. Um, you know, my wife, uh, and our uh, dog at the time, you know, they came up and visited and, you know, love to do like hiking things and whatnot. So ended up just having a great time, but like the baseball experience, I mean, they packed that stadium and, uh, you know, just kind of history around it all. Uh, I think that probably had to be the best experience. Um,
1: How do you feel about different crowd sizes? Like when you first pitched in front of uh, a a crowd, a huge crowd, how was that feeling?
2: um, You know, I feel like I was always kind of used to it a little bit. The funny thing is you you go from college and you go from like, you know, 1,000, 2,000 fans, and then you go into minor league ball and you – Play in front of like seven fans. <laughs> <laughs> that's it's, true. It's, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not kidding you. Um,
0: a Monday day game. Uh, yeah.
2: Well, like the Florida State League uh, down there. Um, you know, I think we would average maybe like 120 fans per game. But then, like maybe on a uh, you know a thirsty Thursday or you know dollar beer nights. That's when you get all the all the people out there. Or you know we got to play when T, when Tim Tebow was playing. Oh, yeah. He that's was right. In, he was in high A at the time. And so any stadium that he went to, he would like bring like 5,000 people. I'm not <laughs> kidding you. Like it was, it was always, it was always something, but, um, you know, I, I feel like there's always kind of, you know, that easiness of, uh, playing in front of fans. I mean, now there was times like where you get in front of 10,000 fans, like, especially in Dominican. I mean, they go crazy oh, down there for baseball, but, uh, um, I kind of just try to focus that out. Um, just worry about the game and worry, you know, kind of, um, you know, eyesight on the catcher and everything like that. So
0: Tebow with point port St. Lucie at that point in time. Yeah. he right. Stri- Did you pitch against him?
2: He actually fisted a ball as we were playing the shift and knobbed it down, uh, third base line as we we're playing the shift and, you know, got a hit off me. So I guess, oh. you know, I can say that, but yeah.
0: Speaking of the shift, that's a segue. Our last podcast, which is dropped already, um, it is about the shift itself and all the different rules in the majors. What was your thought as a pitcher with the shift? Did you like it? Did you dislike it? Were you just like, eh, it's, it is what it is?
2: I think there's a love-hate relationship with it, especially for me being a ground ball pitcher. There's so many uh, times that the ball is put in play um, mm-hmm. that – it's like, okay, like I'm trying to get into someone's hands, but like you're playing all the way down, you know, the shift on the third base side, but yet here I am. I just broke his bat and he hit it 30 miles an hour down the, you know, first base line, and no one's there. So it's like there went a double play or something mm-hmm. like that. So, but there was times like where, it, you know, it definitely yeah. saved me and there's times where it definitely hurt me. Um, so, um, you know, I, kind of, I'll, you know, kind of watch this year and see how it goes, uh, for all the guys. And, uh, you know, we'll see from there. I mean, people's reactions and attitudes towards it, if it's really going to help or not. Um, what well,
0: as like off the cuff, do you think it is going to lead to more hits or what, what do you think?
2: I don't really think so, to be honest. Hmm. Um, I think it's more of like a head game than anything, uh, for all these hitters, you know, you always hear like, Joey Gallo, you know, complain about it or something like that. And it's just like, hey, dude, like, we're we're putting all these guys over to, you know, this side of the field. Why don't you try to hit it to the other side of the field? He doesn't make the adjustment or other people don't make the adjustment. And um, so I don't know. I mean, we'll see. It'll be a a good experiment to see for the game. But, um, you know, they keep trying to speed up the game in different ways. Um, And... Some of it's good, some of it's bad, I feel like, but um, you know, it just kinda is what it is with uh this day and age, so.
0: Did you pitch with the pitch clock in the minors? Oh yeah. What'd you yeah. think of it?
2: It really didn't phase you that much. I mean, I think this last year, um, uh, when they tried to like force the you know, if you try to pick off once, um you can do that. But like if you do it two times without getting the guy out the third time, you have to pit like third time you have to get him out and if not then he's he gets to go to second base like it's like a balk Mm -hmm. um so it's just weird things like that that i feel like they think that's going to speed up the game but really it doesn't um i think last year's games were like three hours and seven minutes so i really don't see like that much of a difference from the time before like
0: as a pitcher did you just finally get used to it uh, like 15 yeah, seconds yeah 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 and... you
2: i mean you practice in spring training with it all and um you know you get used to all those new rules so um there is times like where you get kind of sped up a little bit with um you know trying to get the catcher signs and all that type of stuff and then it's like okay i haven't come set and it's only five seconds i have to get this off by now like you know um but it, it takes some getting used to
0: did that lead to more mistake pitches or rush pitches? Think, you think so? I think,
2: yeah, definitely for sure. Um, I think for a lot of people it did.
0: So it probably leads to a little more action in the field would be my guess, right? Because the pitchers yeah. rushing their pitch. They may not be as crisp to get it to home plate.
2: Yeah. I think there's going to be, you know, definitely some pitchers that it does startle a little bit more than others. Um, especially with probably the reasons why that, that rule has started to be implemented, but, um, I feel for the majority of them. I mean, it's it's probably going to be fine.
0: You mean Kenley Jansen's not going to be able to take two minutes in between each pitch? <laughs>
2: <laughs> nope, not anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you mentioned spring training. They teach you that. What is it like coming into spring training with the new rules? Like, do they bring in umpires? Do they bring in league officials? Like, how do you guys get that? Or is it just I mean, coaching? It,
2: uh, no, it's, I mean, it's kind of coaching letting you know. Yeah, uh, a little bit, but... It's more so like coaching, like, just, hey, like, make sure, you know, going into the game finally, once you get in, like, you know, you only have this, you know, you're able to hold for 12 seconds and not, you know, the normal 20 type of thing. But um, the umpires in spring training, they're kind of lenient. They'll be like, hey, like, you know, I could have called that, but I'm not. We're just learning right now. And then, like, once you get closer to the season, then it's like, hey, we're going to implement it so that way you see how it's going to affect you now. Um, But I mean, it's, it's pretty well like eased into. You
0: you mentioned spring training, the coaches, but what is it like just as a pitcher coming into spring training? What are you focusing on? We're two, three weeks away. Some, but some people are reporting now, like what is your mindset at this point in the game as you approach spring training?
2: Uh, You know, really just kind of start to ease on into it. Uh, You know, you, you want to be, coming in prepared as possible because you never know what's going to happen above. I mean, there's, I've seen so many spring training injuries to where people get chances that, you know, probably wouldn't have got chances before and they end up, you know, kind of taking off with it. And, you know, now they got a 10 year big league career. Um, so you always got to be prepared and ready for every opportunity. But I mean, um, for the most part, I mean, you're trying to just go in there in shape, healthy, um, ease on into it. It's kind of like, you know, fastballs for, you know, the most part. And then, um, the second week, then you're going to, you know, start implementing, you know, change-ups, curveballs type of thing. And so on and so forth. Um, and then, uh, you know, I like, probably then? the third week really take off with it. Oh uh, man. It, it really depends on the minor leaguer that you ask. Uh, for my standpoint, um, You know, off seasons were always tough. Uh, You know, I didn't sign for that much money. Um, I signed for a decent amount, but, you know, not something that I can just live off of for the rest of my life, like some Mm -hmm. of these first and second and third rounders. But, um, you know, so you get, you'll end in September. um, You get about, let's say, a month and a half, two months off, maybe. And then... Uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta find a job if you, if you don't have the money to sit on, if you're not, honestly, if you're not living with mom and dad mm-hmm. or you don't come from money or something like that, I mean, you're working your butt off, uh, as soon as you get back from the season and it's different, and especially like me, like being engaged, have a dog, you know, uh, trying to have a family, all the type of things. Uh, you know, it, it definitely, I wouldn't say it gets in the way, but it, it, you know, it, it becomes tough to juggle. Um, and then, so now you're trying to do a part-time job or a full-time job, and then you got to find time once, let's say, November starts to uh, start pick back up training. And most of these guys, I mean, unless you have a really like detailed regimen of working out and things like that and the availability to it, to mm-hmm. yourself... I mean, you got to go find a gym uh, or a, a strength coach or something like that. Uh, some workout facility. Someone to play
1: catch with. And,
2: you know, yeah, that, Um, I mean, some of these workout facilities, I mean, you're spending $1,000 a month, you know, just trying to stay in, sh- train, stay in shape, all that type of stuff. Then, you know, while you're training, you also have to, like you said, find a catch partner and then, you know, make time to find a catcher now to go. You know, do your bullpens, um, as well as trying to do the. You know, do your side job to be able to afford the training, um, and you know your rent or whatever, and uh, and then you know juggle your you know your personal life as well. So, um, it's it's really what what the what the player makes of it. Um, it's not all uh, you know stars and. Everything like that, um, that, you know, kind of, I feel like a lot of people see, but um, more of the people that understand baseball, they understand it a little bit, but uh, there's definitely more of a background to it all that I feel like most don't see um, the struggle coming up. I've, yeah. I've seen, I've i i have have dealt with some of the struggle. I've heard worse stories than mine. Um, I've dealt with the struggle of, you know, you go into pro ball and you're making $1,200 a month and you're living with a host family. You don't have a car you know your ex you know food things like that whatever but then like now they've started to pay for housing they've started to uh prepare better meals for the guys like i mean like when i was first starting it was peanut butter and jellies you know uh at the the games and stuff oh by the
0: way stay in shape
2: yeah um (laughs) you know you got to pay club you got to pay clubby fees Mm -hmm. home and away clubby fees you got to um and then tip them as well and mm-hmm. so it's like hey i get i get paid 25 dollars a day for per diem on a four game road trip so i get a 100 bucks and now you got to go pay your clubby eight dollars a game um mm-hmm. for that and then tip them on the side but as well as eat outside of the field because maybe i don't want to eat peanut butter and jelly that day yeah right you know i' trying to bulk <laughs> but, up a little bit but i mean i'm I'm not. I'm not. I'm not complaining by any means. I mean, the this the struggle kind of makes part of it a little bit of making you want it more. Um, so it really, just depends on the person.
0: Yeah. Um, now, like when you roomed with someone, how did that all work? Because I've heard horror stories where there's people <laughs> sleeping in the bathroom on a bed, oh, yeah. on a cot. Like, uh, um, did, I'm assuming you saw that.
2: Oh yeah, I was part of that. Um, <laughs> there was, you know, there's. For the road stuff, I mean, you get put in a hotel. You got to share a hotel room with another guy. So, um, say your say your roomie that you wanted to get, you know, booked with, he gets called up, and now you get, you know, a Dominican that speaks no English and just, you know, has no manners whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And it depends. It's about all people. Um, You get put in that situation, or with the housing situations, whenever. Let's say in spring training, spring training, you don't get paid. You get paid, if you want to live out, you get paid like 400 bucks a week. So let's say in Port Charlotte, Florida, um, it's peak season during uh, the spring training time. Housing for like, you know, just normal, like three, two type of house, about 3,200 bucks a, uh, month. a month. So um, I'm getting paid $400 a week, so $1,600 a month to live out. And, um, so you, you got to go into these houses like, Hey, it's three bedrooms, but let's put six guys in here Yeah. and like, I'll take the closet. You take, you take the kitchen, you know, so, and so, and I've lived in kitchens. I've lived in, uh, I've seen guys live in closets. I mean, it, the stories are true and, um, but you know, it's always a, it's always a good conversation piece.
0: Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like I've I've heard horror stories. I listen to uh, the Compound podcast. So I've listened to Zach Short and Dakota Meckis talk about some of their experiences. And I know was it last year? Or was it the year before they implemented the like better pay and like starting to take yeah. care of housing ones? But it's still, oh, yeah. it only goes a certain amount because you are still making only a couple hundred dollars a week. Um, obviously, the higher you get up, you get a little bit more money, but it's not. Yeah, that's what a lot of people don't understand about baseball. They think these major league baseball players, which are making even the minimum now is what 700,000 which i'm not complaining about but most yeah. people just think oh yeah they're making millions and millions of dollars
2: unless 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 you're a 40 man player or you've been in the big leagues before or you're a free agent that has had like big league or like high prospect status you will only right now currently you're probably only making four grand a month and that's before taxes. Right. So, I mean, it's, st- that's a little bit livable type of thing, but like you only get paid for those six months right. that baseball season is going. So, I mean, you know, there's definitely guys where I played with that are making $25,000 a month, but for Signing bonus so for every, for everyone else, I mean, you know, you're, you're struggling uh, to make it. So it's a, it's definitely a big mental uh, aspect of the game that a lot of people don't see.
0: But every once in a while you'll have someone come down for a rehab assignment or I something was like that. Who is like favorite. the most, okay. Like who is the most famous person or fr- famous player that you played with on a rehab assignment or came up with? Cause they normally take care of the bill most of the time, right?
2: Yeah. They'll, they'll, uh, they'll provide like a good dinner for you. Um, yeah. Um, you know, they'll, they'll take like the $3,200 or something like that. that it's usually for like a team dinner and pay all that or our clubby fees or something like that. And it's always really appreciated. Um, I would say like Nathan Avaldi okay. uh, was always a good one. Um, in Tampa. Yeah. Uh, Brad Miller was always a homie. He always treated us very well. Um, I think we saw him way too often, uh, down there, but it was always nice to have him. <laughs> yeah. It's <was> always <laughs> nice to have him, but, uh, Hey, break away, um, man. <laughs> I mean, we ran through a lot. Yeah, we we ran through a lot of people, especially in the Florida State League. That's where all they that's where all uh, the guys were rehabbing like Wilson Ramos, Nathan Vol, Brad Miller. I mean, um Chris Archer, uh you know, you name it, there's always some guys there. Um, but none I didn't run like run across anyone like too too big. I mean, there was big names, but I mean not like you know, Hall of Famer type of vibes or anything like that yet. So,
0: so was Longo still there or was he already on the way to the giants by the time you got drafted?
2: He was, he was there, I think my first year. Um, and then my second year, uh, I think he was traded by then. So,
0: so what's like camp, like you arrived, are you all in the same locker room? The... No, there's
2: divide, there's divided locker rooms. There's like a minor league side and there's a big league side. So, um, but, um, for those first like two or three weeks before they start making cuts and all the big league guys aren't ready, uh, they'll call up like, you know, 10 minor leaguers mm-hmm. to the big league side, uh, to kind of, you know, spot fill some of the games and mm-hmm. kind of be backups. So I was always a part of that a lot. Um, got to experience a lot of like big league spring training games. Um, so that was always fun.
1: What's your, uh, glove go to glove brand. You a Wilson guy, Mizuno, um, or it didn't, it didn't gr-
2: I mean, college. College, I was Rawlings, but as far as pro ball goes, um, I actually had a contract with uh, Forty Four Pro gloves. Mm-hmm. Um, so looks like a snakehead, right? Yeah, a little bit. Um, they're really big uh glove brand now when i first started with them in 16 uh they were just starting up and they were just trying to get into the league and then i had contract with them uh all six years that i played and um the leather got better and better each year and now they're they're pretty much everywhere mm-hmm. um so uh that was my you know go-to glove it is fully customizable it is relatively cheap for anyone i mean most you know under or not underarmers but uh Rawlings or Mizuno's are like four or five hundred dollars to customize, but these are about you know 225, 185, something like that. And they're they're really good with leather, so um, you can pretty much see them everywhere in the game now. Um,
0: so, when you say you're under contract, does that mean you get just a deal on the mitt or like they give it to you? So,
2: they'll they'll provide me uh, like say four gloves a year um, under contract. Uh, with them and if I, like, if I make an all-star team they'll give me X amount of dollars if I make the big leagues with them you know X amount of dollars type of thing so kind of Sick. like a marketing brand deal yeah. so yeah
0: but so you pitched in a lot of ballparks against a lot of players who was the toughest out or like who was the guy that just got you every time
2: um, toughest out I can say this with ease is uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Hmm. Um, dude, just you know, you could get him zero and two, and then this dude would just sit on pitches and you know spit on pitches, and next thing you know, it'd be three two, and then you walk him. Or uh, I think he was probably like. I don't know, two for two off me with like four walks and like, you know, two doubles type of thing. It was just, it was always something like where you get it you think you're ahead and then all of a sudden, you know, he's on first base or something like that and you're like, how did, how'd how you get there? But uh, he, he always had, he always had my number. Um, but yeah. So,
1: so what, what made you, so, so what made you a pitcher? Were you always a pitcher growing up or did, did you, did, you know, did you have a cannon growing up? And that they, that your little league coaches put you a pitcher? Or, you know how did that? How to become a pitcher?
2: Yeah, I mean, I pretty much. My dad always pushed uh, pitching uh, on me. Uh, I always kind of had a stronger arm than a lot of other people. I stopped. I stopped playing like little league, or in our area it was called Dixie. Um, I stopped playing that at about ten years old, and then started to play travel ball. Um, and uh is a big, you know, baseball state anyways. And so it started to take off from there. And um, then you start getting invited to go play with other travel teams, all the best travel teams in the state and things like that. And, um, you know, I ended up playing in high school with FTV Mizuno, which it's pretty crazy. Like our, our FTV Mizuno team was like Addison Russell, Francisco Lindor, um, Daniel Vogelbach, uh, let's see, uh,
0: was uh, Javier
2: Baez, Javier Baez, uh, Jose Fernandez, uh, Jesse Winker. I mean, like first rounder after first rounder. You like, were on that, that, was, that team. That, that was on. That was my team, and uh, it was it was the best team like in the state, and the country, and everything like that. And like you, you'd occasionally get. Kids that would fly from other states and stuff like that and play with you and mm-hmm. whatnot. But it was just always like cream of the crop. And, you know, just it was a great time to to play baseball. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. Okay. Stepping aside from that, as a Cubs fan, I want to know was Javi as swagalicious back then as he is now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Monster home runs and just pimp everything.
2: Yep, yeah. No doubt. That's sick.
0: Um, I've got another question. It stems off the photos you sent me earlier. There was a awesome uniform, and we're going to talk about a pick that you're coming up with here later that that's going to be part of. But what was your favorite uniform? Because that's the cool thing about minor league baseball. It's not just the same uniform every day. Was there one that was your all-time favorite?
2: <laughs> um, well, The Whataburger one definitely had to be one of the top ones. I mean, there was all types of uh, jerseys that you would run through. I mean, there's there's almost too many to even remember. Um, The one that sticks out to me the most is just the Whataburger one. But, I mean, like, um, you know, there was some cool ones with the biscuits. There was, uh, let's see, biscuits. I I was a flying squirrel at one point with (laughs) Richmond, uh, so they had some good ones. Yeah. But yeah, I think the Whataburger one stuck out to me the most uh, just because everyone like just recognized it and, you know, always had a ball with with seeing that every Wednesday.
0: Was that Corpus Christi?
2: Yeah. yep. So Whataburger Wednesdays, you know, put that Whataburger jersey on and, uh, you know, go have some fun.
0: (laughs) And last thing I have, it was kind of a hot topic, I guess about a year and a half ago. How prevalent was spider tech or just sticky stuff? in, in um, the minors
2: it's always a touchy subject yeah. uh it was it's def it's was definitely there and i think it still is there to a certain extent now and i think as a pitcher and i, I really don't mean this in a biased way as a pitcher like we're trying to grip the ball because i don't like most people don't understand like when you go up levels, the ball changes. So mm-hmm. you go from a, a laces that are higher to level by level, they grow smaller and smaller. And so when you get to the big leagues, that that ball is literally like slippery. Like you can almost like, you can't hold on to it. And so when they rub that mud on it and everything, I mean, you can get a little bit of a grip, but there's just, I mean, you're throwing 100 miles an hour trying to, like, you know, flick that, you know, slider or curveball off of your fingers and stuff, and it just isn't there, so you don't know where it's going a lot of times. So, like, my thing is, is like, if batters are allowed to use pine tar, they, I'm totally fine with batting gloves, but pine tar or, like, you know, their sticky spray or anything like that, Mm -hmm. why can't I use, you know, uh Pint or not pine tar, but, you know, spider tack, all that type of stuff to just get a little bit better grip on the ball. Now there's extensive amount of like people who put too much on it and things can happen that way. But I was never a person who used spider tack because of the sinker. Mm -hmm. It would affect my sinker differently than like forcing guys like, you know, Garrett Cole or, uh, people like that. Um, or like Trevor Bauer, Trevor Bauer or things like that. But like, I mean, spin rate, I wasn't a spin rate person. So like spin rate guys, like I, I saw a kid go from like 2,600 RPMs to 3,100 RPMs just by using the spider tack and like his career changed immensely because of that. And then after it got taken away, now he's out of the big leagues and, you know, can't get a grip on a ball. Yeah. So,
0: I mean, you, you get used to it too. It becomes a crutch almost to a certain point, right?
2: Yeah yeah I mean you can use you know uh, rosin uh, rosin and everything like that sunscreen Uh, I mean there's there's things on Amazon called uh, what is it gorilla snot it's literally like it's like guitar pick stuff Um, I mean when I went with the Astros they basically said like hey we have our stuff and then they got cracked down on um, and, and then it all went away but i'm sure it, to some extent like it's there somewhere like in if you watch people's belts or if you watch you know guys go like this on their wrists before they go i mean yeah. there's some there's something there um so
1: well uh what was the guy in the world series this past year wiping his hand he's coming off the mound is he Frambo? doing you, yeah framber is he doing that mm-hmm. just to mess with the other team or? oh
2: yeah oh yeah uh, no, no, he's he's definitely got something. I mean, it's it's all really up to the umpire and the other team and stuff. But I mean, if you're going like this, like after every pitch or something like that, or if you're going like this to your glove or you know to your lace or something like that, or if you're going like you know to your uh, belt or something, I mean, it, there's something there.
1: Adjusting um, your cup, you know, the so. umpire's not going to want to touch that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh what was it last two years ago at Lance Lynn started stripping on the field and got kicked out of the game or something like that or Scherzer and I dropped his pants um, Oh yeah yeah. so you mentioned the Astros I know the Rays the Giants the Twins are those the four organizations you've been with
2: yeah Rays uh Giants Astros Twins
0: which was your favorite of the four
2: um I think I had the most fun with the Astros uh, back in 20 um, I think that was like kind of the season that I had the most fun with I was just really you know laid back it was, we were coming off of COVID and um, you know I didn't know what was going to happen that year because I, mean, I went into that spring training with um, spring training previous with the, or with the Giants and then all of a sudden they're like hey you know everyone's going to be sent home we don't know when the season's going to start mm-hmm. back up and then, so you go home and it's like, Hey, season's canceled. So now what do I do? Um, oh. you know, then you go do a regular job for, for, uh, five months. And then it's like, okay, like now I'm 25 or 26, like is baseball going to be coming back or not for me. I'm a free agent now. And, uh, you know, you just try to send out video and things like that and be hopeful of someone to sign you. And then all of a sudden, right. When the season was about to start, uh, Astros called and said they want to sign me. and um, I just had a lot of fun. I mean, the, the clubhouse atmosphere was great. The coaching was great. So um, that's probably the most fun that I had so far. That's sweet.
1: So in your opinion, with the different – you were just talking spider tack and such, does Barry Bonds belong in the Hall of Fame?
2: In my opinion – I think yes, but there's a reason behind that because I think it's a part there's a part of the game back then. I think like he does, I think he or the steroid era guys deserved to be in because it was a it was an with an asterisk right. behind their name. Because that was just a part of the game. I mean like everyone can say like oh yeah, like I didn't use it. I mean, maybe you maybe you just, you know, didn't get caught back then. No. Um, I think like it was kind of one of those things, like, if you weren't doing it, you probably, you know, just either didn't care that much enough or, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I just really feel like it was part of the game, and you can't really tear people down too much for it because uh, there's so many people doing it and so many people you don't know who were doing it. Right. Uh, so. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't have any, I don't have any, like, um, you know, thing behind it. I think, like, he and everyone else in that era that was great kind of deserves to be in, but just put an asterisk next to their name and be like, hey, steroid era player. I mean, yeah. you're never going to see anything like that ever again.
0: Right. So you you mentioned you were with the Astros. It was your most fun team. Like, is there a coach in the minors that, like, you give more credit to or, like, you, you liked coaching you the best?
2: Yeah, it was definitely my high A pitching coach, Doc Watson, Uh, you know, older guy, been around the game for forever, Um, you know, just was a, you know, a teacher of the game and, uh, you know, always knew how to have fun on the side. And, uh, uh, but I, I think that's really where I learned a lot about professional baseball and how to Act and be, and how to play and be a player and everything it was kind of because of him. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I is does the coach make it for you that much? Like, can you look back and say, "Hey, Doc, I really helped me be successful." That you know, if I would have had Doc another a Doc a double A, I would have a Doc a triple A. I have a Doc here that I just feel like my games were better.
2: Yeah. um I definitely think they they play a big part into it. Um, you know, going from high A, I had him, and then going into double A Montgomery, I had a different guy, and you know, you just don't click uh, right. on all levels. And but I think in the end of the day, in any part of life, you can learn something from someone, mm-hmm. no matter if it's good or bad. So like you can take something away from each of these ten uh, pitching coaches that I dealt with. And make something good out of it, or learn something from it, or say like, "Hey, this isn't gonna be me. This is how I'm gonna act, or how I'm gonna be," type of thing in the game or in life, whatever. Um, but yeah, um, you know, if there was if there was ten, you know, Doc Watsons, you know, I probably feel pretty comfortable, uh, you know, about my pitching career for sure. All
1: right. Not baseball, but what's your uh, what's your go-to daily pour? Do you like sweeter? Do you like? uh, Um, What's your favorite?
2: um, Daily pour. I think I've always like ventured towards like a Buffalo Trace store pick. Uh, It's always just kind of been like a daily pour. Um, I tried to rally up as much as those as I can, Um, but I think like a close second, if not like a one A one B, is like a OWA um i don't mm-hmm. think you really beat like an owa especially like a store pick but obviously those are harder to come by but i mean just a, a good old you know 107 proof weeder um yeah there's always
0: so you you've said you've got seven different picks there's more on the road and down the road what what's next for you guys what's next for you what are you looking forward to
2: um so the one i'm really looking forward to is the next one the makers mark like i said the experience was hands down like the best experience i've had so far in bourbon um the pick experience the people that you know we were with um you know what they did outside of, outside of the pick and how they treated us was just you know top notch um but also like with the makers pick you kind of have to do some research going into it because like they have those different stave profile options. And so mm-hmm. you act- in the pick, you actually only get three like options to choose from, uh, or like three, like choices of those 10 profiles. Yeah. And so you kind of have to have an idea of what you're getting into now. Like Richard, who was a part of the pick, had you know gotten all kinds of samples of makers picks and like sent me samples of like, for me to try of like all the different profiles and whatnot and so that's how we kind of like gotten you know uh, you know found what, what path we were going to go so I think like we went in there saying like four not four one two three because that's what we went with but there was like three one two four something like that is what we went in there with and it just like there was a, a nose and a and a palate, but there wasn't a finish. And then the store guy, uh Mitt, he was there and he's like, Well, how about like we do two, 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 four? And so we went with that and I'm like, No, like it the there's something there, but something's like too much where it doesn't mesh well. And then I was like, Well, after thinking about it, like let's do three one. So uh, at that point
1: you're I think like, let's try. Four, you know, after a couple of holes, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, <pretty>, you know. <laughs> pretty much, but
2: it was, yeah, it for real. For I think it was four, one, two, three was the last one, and then like just everything hit on all cylinders. Like and like the the barrel picking guy, I was like, yeah, like that's a pretty pretty odd uh, choice. I don't think I've seen that choice like around too many of times. But like this is this is pretty great. Like what you guys picked. Um, so we went with that and like, that's going to be called makers McGuire for okay. like a Mark McGuire. But the sticker around so that cool. is going to be the sticker around that is going to be, uh, his got milk, um, <laughs> Was uh,
0: Sammy on that too.
2: No, it's, it's just him. I'm going to, I'm going to release it here soon, but it's like just him and it's like got milk and he's got like a milk mustache mm-hmm. and like the bat or something. And so we're going to put like got makers, Uh, with a red mustache, uh, with with a bottle in his hand. And then it kind of has like, talking about like the milk stuff, like it's got like calcium, this, this, and this. And we're going to talk about the notes at the bottom. Uh, So that'll be a fun one. But I'm really, really, I'm really, really stoked for for that maker's pick. And then um, I've been waiting on a Starlight Honey like forever. Um, Since the last time we picked, Andrew was like, yeah, now you guys qualify for a Honey. So we're going February 10th to pick a honey, but I'm hoping that the honey is there because he said like it's limited and that's the only time I could go was February 10th. Yeah. And so I'm hoping that there's still some honey barrels there. Otherwise, I'm going to kind of be let down. I've been waiting for so long and now it's already gone. But I think there's only like 17 days in between like when I asked for it to when I'm going. And then, so it's only 34 picks like between that time mm-hmm. and uh, I don't think everyone's qualified for honey, but uh, fingers so crossed.
0: That, right.
2: Yeah, I know you that, that uh, starlight. I think that starlight will be the only um, sticker that I think will probably be personal. Um, and just because I'm, I want to do that Whataburger uh, honey butter chicken biscuit. Yeah. Um, let me, let me uh, get my dogs down here real quick. Pretty good. But um, that one's going to be special to me because I played for the Honey Butter Chicken Biscuits. I got a you know jersey and picture and all that type of thing into it. So there's a store in Georgia that's sometimes changed the front logo uh, of Starlight, and Starlight's okay with it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to change the front logo to match that Honey Butter Chicken Biscuit and then kind of have like my uh, picture on the back of it. Um, and then there's also an ASW Fiddler Ambarana, uh, pick, uh, going to be coming up. So, um, I know, I, I know like starlight's pretty big for the cigar batches, but, uh, ASW is doing some really good things in Atlanta and I know wit very well there. And, uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. He's sending up samples. They kind of rushed the pick a little bit, which is okay. But, uh, they're sending samples rather than us going down there. Um, and we'll, we'll be doing like a live barrel pick on the group page oh, cool. uh, with some of the guys involved. And then, uh, yeah. So,
0: so is your group open to the
2: listeners if they want to join in? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, anyone's welcome. Um, yeah. You just so join the
1: group and Brandon becomes anyone, your anyone your personal bourbon. bourbon shopper. You don't have to, you don't have to go into <laughs> the store. Loves, and... Anyone
2: who loves anyone loves bourbon and baseball and everything, uh, he's than welcome to be a part of it. So
0: awesome, man. Uh, well, I can hear the baby in the background, so I'm sure you're gonna have to go here in a second. Uh, anything else you want to tell our listeners, our viewers here on YouTube? Uh, what, what about yourself or just the bourbon world and community or baseball itself?
2: No, uh, you know, uh, appreciate you guys, what you guys are doing and, you know, having me on and uh, appreciate being a part of it and you know, talking with you both tonight.
0: Yeah, we're going to have to have you on again, talk about more future picks, talk about what else. Uh, you've got merchandise too. I know I just saw in the group that you just dropped like a quarter zip. Uh, so listeners, if you want that, head on over there. Michael's supporting one of the shirts. Brandon's got the other shirt. Brandon and I have the hat. Uh, I've got his autograph. Behind, I don't know if you've seen that. Have you been able to see that through the entire show? Your autograph is uh-huh. sitting over my left shoulder. Uh, it's it's in the bourbon bar the entire time, all the time. But uh, you can find where where can we find you on Instagram? You got two of them. Which one do you prefer?
2: Uh, either or, honestly. I mean, I'm primarily on Major League Bourbon, but I mean the group page is growing as well. So uh, you know, Major League Bourbon, Major League Bourbon Clubhouse on Instagram, and then at Facebook. You know, go to Major League Bourbon Clubhouse, join. And uh, you know, look forward to be a part of it. So,
0: yeah. Well, we are aw- like honored to have you on. Uh, so excited that you came on, and I had a blast tonight. I know Michael, you probably did as well. And uh, yeah, I probably did. We're gonna did. Yeah, have to have you on again. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna I'm absolutely. gonna speak for Michael. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we are we we are so happy that you joined us today. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, and again, go follow Brandon at Major League uh, Bourbon Clubhouse on uh, Instagram at Major League Bourbon on Instagram as well. And then the Facebook page. You can follow us on Instagram at barrels and barrels pod. Michael, where's your Instagram handle?
1: I'm BNB underscore Burns.
0: And I am whiskey underscore weather. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube at Barrels and Barrels Pod. And don't forget to subscribe on YouTube here. Twitter, Barrels and Barrels. And our email is barrelsandbarrels at gmail.com. Don't forget to ask about merchandise and all that stuff. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, and iHeartRadio Podcasts. Please rate us, review us. If you shout us out uh, on that, we will give you a shout out here. And also, We are now, we've already been worldwide, but we added another country, didn't we, Michael? You Mm -hmm. messaged me. Where did we add?
1: Oh, I I I don't have it up at the moment.
0: I thought it was Canada, eh?
1: Uh, Was Canada the last one that we had? We got a listener in Canada.
0: Maybe a Toronto or an old Montreal Expo. Uh, There we go. Uh, yeah, Vlad Vlad Guerrero Jr. Maybe, maybe yeah, <laughs> I highly doubt that he is. After you, he just uh, talked about him earlier today. He's going to jump in, but that's where you can find us. Thanks for listening to another episode of Barrels and Barrels, the Bourbon and Baseball Podcast. A big thank you to Brandon Lawson yes, at you. Major League Bourbon Clubhouse for joining us tonight. Our second official guest, our first baseball related guest, but it merges everything together, uh, and we had a blast tonight. Yeah, so League thank League you, my man. A pitcher can, on
1: here. Let's go let's go
0: yes yes Michael doubles. Michael's a wannabe pitcher um, I don't know if you know that
1: no I even I even uh, had I even had surgery a month ago to keep playing adult league
0: um, <laughs> uh, man. Uh, so Michael's still living the dream at 32 he's he's playing adult league baseball I blew my knee out in go. the same league like three years ago <laughs> so I've retired but Michael's
2: living the dream I the dream alive
0: That's right. Thanks again for listening to Barrels and Barrels, the Bourbon and Baseball podcast. You can always find us here on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as Google, Amazon, and iHeartRadio. Thanks for listening. Michael, any last words?
1: Go Cubs, and let's go.